In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8. This is Paul's take on dying to Christ. He begins by bragging about himself, what a good Jew he was, well-educated, a learned Pharisee, one who knew the law inside out, a persecutor of Christians, a Roman citizen, and proud of it, blameless. Then he met Jesus on the way to Damascus and his whole life changed. Everything that had smacked of who Paul was became rubbish once he discovered Christ. He wasn't worried about the blow to his image or what his contemporaries would think about him when he took an about turn and began to preach the same gospel as those Christians whom only a few short weeks ago he'd been hunting down to kill and silence forever. All he was worried about was filling himself up with Christ, becoming like Christ imitating Christ. So powerful was his conversion that his words speak to us as clearly today as they did to his first century audience. His strength lay in Christ. The encounter he had had with him shook him to the core. God used this to his advantage. Paul's upbringing and his privileges, everything he'd been bragging about, and Paul was astute enough not to argue. Well, he had been struck blind, and I think that scared him a bit. He looked on all his previous accomplishments as a load of rubbish, best to be thrown on the heat to make more room for Christ. The more we release, the more room there is. You know that from cleaning out your fridge. I think God has fun tracking down unlikely servants. Don't you? Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, the heat wave is over and we're back to normal, much to the relief of most of the English population. I'll be talking to Shanna Godfrey, rocket scientist and creator of the Godfrey Method Phonics program. Shanna's returning as my guest to finish off what we started three months ago on a show that turned out to be too short for what she had to share. She's a mother of 14 and a homeschooler to boot and is going to be talking about well, you all just have to stay with me to find out. I'll be chatting about the pantomime auditions, the arrival of our second-born son to visit, not his birth, an energised homeschooler who has found a way to keep herself going and going like the bunny and more on furniture. I hope you have everything you need to spend the next hour with me without fainting from exhaustion because once I get started, there's no getting up. And... This flat living is an enigma. I've been trying to categorize it so that I can have it neatly stored away in my head as a particular type of dwelling. 
It's nothing like living in a house you own. Yes, I have interaction with my neighbors along my boulevard in Texas, but we don't spend a lot of time bickering over nitpicky events that really aren't life-threatening. If someone gets our goat, we have to appeal to the city authorities or call the police, which is a lot of trouble that most of us don't bother going to. And it's not exactly cohabitation. We live under the same roof and within the same walls. We enter by the same front door, use the same access code, but we each have our own private entranceway into our own piece of square footage, which we maintain. When we bump into each other in the hallways or the main entranceway or in the lift, which I'm not allowed to use because I'm on the ground floor, or at the rubbish bins or on the way to the garage, We nod, we smile, or we avert our gaze and ignore, depending on how the mood takes us. I have to amend here that we do not ignore, they do. And it's not really a community either. It took several days for me to find out that one of the residents had died. I don't know why I expected to hear sooner, but I was a little miffed that I hadn't heard on the day of the death. Perhaps it could be called coexisting. We all own a portion of the common property. We all live side by side, above or below the others, but that's as far as the commonality goes. There are a few social functions to give us a false sense of companionship. We're here if you need us sort of thing. We've done one, the garden party, when we first arrived. After that, no one was any friendlier in the shared halls and pathways. But there's one at Christmas, an attempt at further bonding the British way. I'm still a rookie to this flat dwelling and no one's helping me to adjust. I'm at a loss quite as to how far to reach out to a building full of ready-made neighbours whom I could be kind and helpful to. I worry that if I'm too friendly, I'll be misconstrued as being nosy or a busybody. No wonder no one talks to each other when they pass in the hallways. They keep themselves to themselves in case they start an anonymous verbal riot. I'm alone in my block of flats with no one to take my olive branch. I know exactly how the king felt when he sent out his invitations to a wedding feast. No one he he knew would come. No one he knew sort of would come. In the end, he had to go out to the lanes and hedgerows to fill his banqueting hall. So off I'll go to my lanes and hedgerows. I'll keep you posted as to how I fare. At church on Sunday, it was Harvest Festival, and for decorations, we were asked to bring cuttings of branches and bushes from our gardens for the pedestal flower holders to save spending large quantities of money on professional flower arrangements. I couldn't take any cuttings because the grounds, although they're communal, I didn't want to start hacking away at random overgrown branches that I thought needed trimming just in case I started something. I didn't want to incur the fearsome wrath of the resident. When we went to Mass on Sunday, we spent some time walking around the nave admiring the floral arrangements. Someone or ones had done a grand job, and I was reminded of a book I read by time traveller author Connie Willis, in which she describes the magnificent flower arrangements created each week by the Flower Guild at a London church during World War II. A dying art today, but not at St. George's. The perimeter of the inside of our church has about 10 large flower pedestals, plus numerous urns and pots high up on the windowsills. These are all filled with autumn brush, berries, hydrangea heads, freesias, bleeding hearts, ferns, 
orange Chinese lanterns, holly, yew, horse chestnut fruits and miniature pumpkins. They looked as professional as any florist and cost nothing but the loving time spent by the women who worked so hard. In addition to the decorations, there were mounds and mounds of tinned and dried food collected for the poor and homeless homeless of our parish. And a quick aside here on the subject of the poor and homeless. I see them in our graveyard and it's so difficult for me to know what to do when I encounter one of them on a bench. He or she is on blessed ground and I wonder if it's all right just to walk past. Our priest tells us to be careful as we leave the church in the dark. He asked if we would probably say, if asked, he would probably say that there are shelters that will help those who seek assistance. Having just offered prayers for those who spend the night in our grounds, I'm nevertheless sorely tempted to run home and get a blanket, for the nights are getting cold. I'd only be able to do that a couple of times before depleting my ready supply, and I suppose the clergy are right. I can give to the charities for the poor and homeless and hope my donation helps one of these people I see in the church graveyard. Back to the church, though, it looked beautiful, decked out in its autumnal displays. The magic performed with a simple tree and bush cutting was quite remarkable. Um, We had auditions this week at our little 48-seater theatre. My blue-eyed cowboy and I went to sit in and see what kind of talent showed up. As it turned out, not a lot. We may have to modify the show, which runs for two weeks on either side of Christmas week. The director said it was quite a commitment and both my cowboy and I looked at each other and sent telepathic messages to one another. Don't talk to us about commitment. We know all about it. Six-week rehearsals of 7 to 11 p.m. each weekday evening, all-day weekends and then four weeks of shows. The second audition was a little better attended and now we're going to do a singing audition and the director's going to call in a few favours so perhaps we'll have a show after all. I hope so. And last Sunday evening, I went to a play reading. I've never been to a play reading before, so I was quite excited. I thought it would be a good way to meet some more people outside the flats. We read through Henrik Ibsen's The Doll's House. I'd studied it at college, so I was a little familiar with the feel of the story, which was good. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known how to read Nora, Torvald's trophy wife. It took two hours, including a 15-minute drinks break. The bar was open, but most of us had tea and a piece of cake. We traded off reading parts, which was fair, because during the first act, I had the lion's share of the lines as I read Nora. There were six of us, three men and three women, and a fine time was had by all. At the end, we decided it should be put forward as a possible play for the upcoming season. This is such a good way of choosing plays. They read a play once a month, and I wonder if the same people show up or if it depends on what's being read. I'll just have to go back and find out. At the end, my gentleman Texan came and collected me so I didn't have to walk home in the dark. Ah. On Tuesday, we travelled to Heathrow to meet our son's plane from Texas. It was one of the earliest we had been on a train since being here, and the one to Victoria was already packed. We began our journey standing and watched as the closer we got to London, the more people crowded onto the compartment. There was a man who had his bike neatly folded in two beside him. He had an empty seat next to him, and finally a woman stared him down till he stood up and let her sit.' 
She wanted to get off before Victoria, so he had to move his bike again and stand to let her off. And immediately there was another passenger who wanted to claim the seats. So in the end, he found it better to sit near the window and lose touch of his bike for the last two stops of his journey. And I noticed that the long carriageway of the train was devoid of standers. Everyone was crammed in at the doorways, including myself. Finally, someone who was on the platform on the outside of the train wanting admittance shouted, move down the carriage. And there was a little shuffle, not much, and the doors were finally closed. And I saw two women push their way through the crowded doorways and down the aisle inside the carriage where they could stand without having to touch anyone. I suppose there are some passengers who don't want to be right inside the carriage, particularly if they're not going to the end of the line, just in case they can't get off at their stop. They have a point there. In Rome, I noticed passengers getting off at the stops and they'd let people behind them off the bus and then they'd scramble back on. That never happens here. I think folks are afraid they may never be able to get back on the train and get left behind on the platform. Well, after an hour and a half's journey, we got to the airport and Simon came up to me and said, who are you waiting for? He was there already. So without much of a break, we had to retrace our steps and wend our weary way home. And I've got to go on a break. So come back in a minute. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Coming up on the next Mom Time TV, it happens three times a day, every day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, what's to eat? And the most common asked question has got to be, what's for dinner, Mom? And so we're asking our moms for help. Because it's just not easy having something new and delightful and ready to serve for dinner. Whether you're at work or at home, cooking it up or driving through, it's one of the day's most momentous decisions. So how do we decide? And how do we keep up with it all? What's for dinner on Mom Time TV next Monday or Mom Day at 3 p.m. Eastern? Other topics coming up soon on Mom Time TV, Halloween fun and scream-free parenting. So first, join us next week as we discuss what's for dinner and all the weeks to follow. Mom Time TV Mondays, Mom Days at 3 p.m. Eastern. For more information about the moms, visit MomTimeTV.com. Talk like that, only a mom can love. Gotta love it. Tell your friends. Ready for the most current feel-good gossip? Then check out Daytime with Donna with your host, Donna Intercastle. And sidekick Nina Fry. Every Friday afternoon at 2, 1 Central on toginet.com. You're simply the best. Better than all the rest. Donna is a charismatic market-driven entrepreneur who was part of the team that founded iVillage.com, which is the largest content-driven community for women today. Donna and Nina are here to empower you, motivate you, and encourage you in all aspects of your life. It's like Oprah on the radio. Plus, your chance to win great prizes, all the way up to a $500 Visa gift card. For more on Donna Intracasso, check out her website, introinc.com. Then join us for the show, Daytime with Donna, with your host, Donna Intracasso, and sidekick Nina Fry. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. 
Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's the Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. My guest this morning is Shanna Godfrey, who's returning to continue the conversation we started three months ago on show 75. So go back there if you want to listen, listen to some of her background. Shanna's a scientist and project manager in the aerospace and defense industry. She has 14 children and taught them how to read using her own method, which she now markets as the Godfrey Method Phonics Books. Shanna also has experience dealing with addiction, ADHD, adoption, blended families, depression, foster parenting, raising twins, reconciling science and religion, single parenting, tutoring college math, working mothers, and much, much more. So once you pop onto her website, One Stop does it all. Oh, and did I mention she homeschools? Good morning, Shanna, and welcome back to my show this morning. Hi, Vivian. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Well, well, good. It's great to hear your voice again. Hey, um, I had wanted to talk about uh, the top 10 myths of reading, but, you know, I think I want to go in a different direction, if you don't mind. People can get my top 10 myths of reading on Amazon.com if they want to look at that. Okay. Uh, But you had mentioned in your email that uh, you're interested in how I reconcile science and God, and so I was wondering if you'd like to discuss that. Yes, I would love to, Shanna. Okay. All right. Uh, so, okay. So you're going to have to take me through this because I was just, all I was going to do was just say, you know, sort of that a lot of people view this discipline of science as a surefire way to draw away from religion. And so as a scientist yourself, I wanted to ask you, how do you reconcile science and God? So, well, I will tell you, so many right. things I have studied in science as a chemist and uh, as the rocket scientist and things have shown me without a doubt that science shows there's a God. Um, all things denote there is a God. The motions of the earth, the accuracy of the speed of gravity, the organization there. And let me tell you a few ideas why, Okay. Okay. One of the laws of physics is called the law of entropy. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that left to themselves, all things digress to a lower state. Mm-hmm. If you want things to become organized, you have to input some energy into the system and organize it. And so things on their own randomly do not go from lower systems to higher systems. That's just a law of physics. Um And so uh, opinions do not become facts, no matter how many times you say them. And so what I want to talk about a little bit is let's start with um, evolution. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I'm talking about orthodox evolution, not variations in species, which you can mess around with just with hybrids and things like that. But I'm talking about Mm -hmm. orthodox evolution where one thing turns into another of a higher organizational state over time, okay? Mm -hmm. This simply is impossible by the laws of science. And I'm not the only scientist who believes this. There There are many of us. Einstein believed in a higher power. 
Um, there's the Creation Institute, Creation Research Institute. Uh, it used to be based in California. I'm not sure if they moved. Um, but there's just so many of us. And uh, let me tell you why. Evolution is a religion. The original assumptions of evolution uh, are made-up stories. There are, there's no proof for them. And so um, my brother, who's an atheist, once said to me, I know that evolution is true and that someday we will find all the missing gaps. And I thought about that later. That's a statement of faith. Mm -hmm. That is a statement of faith to believe that someday the missing gaps will prove it's true, but you don't have them now. And I thought, okay, uh, atheism is a religion. You have to have faith that there is no God. Mm-hmm. Now, here are some scientific problems with orthodox revolution, okay? Mm-hmm. All genetic mutations are recessive, not the dominant trait, and require both parents to have them to pass the trait to the offspring. I don't care how many billions of years or how much infinity you have, that's impossible for all the highly organized systems of the different species from even the simplest bacteria to plants to uh, water animals, land animals to humans are absolutely impossible by this slow recessive mutation. It just can't happen. Most genetic mutations that occur are lethal to the organism, like cystic fibrosis, which kills the offspring. Definitely not the survival of the fittest. All gene mutations are slow and random. And cellular DNA has self-healing mechanisms to heal most mutations. So there is a very intelligent mechanism in place for our DNA to fix itself when these random mutations occur. All right. Now, uh, if I'm saying anything too technical, let me know, and and I'll put it in more layman terms. But gene transcription, which means unzipping the DNA and copying the code and making a new protein, okay, shows intelligent design. It has a very convoluted system of checks and decoding before stopping and also before stopping, before starting and before stopping. And the genes are very self-healing against mutations. The RNA transcription is divided into five stages, pre-initiation, initiation, promoter clearance, elongation, and termination. What that means is it has to go through each of these steps just to copy a gene. Each step requires several different proteins which needed to be in place simultaneously, not sequentially like evolution. Okay, for a cell to divide, it has to first replicate its DNA. This process is initiated at special points within the DNA known as origins. They're targeted by proteins that separate the two strands and initiate DNA synthesis. The origins contain sequences recognized by replication initiator proteins. So if the wrong protein comes along, these guys aren't going to recognize it, and they're going to say, no, 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 no copying, go away. All right, these recruiter proteins uh, recruit other proteins that help separate the strands at the origin of the gene. So it doesn't even copy the whole DNA. It finds a particular little section, the specific one it wants, and opens just that little section to copy it to make a specific protein for what it needs. 
or a specific, say, hormone or a specific other chemical of the body. All right? And uh, otherwise, there is no cell replication or growth or offspring without these highly complex systems starting all together you would never have any kind of cellular replication at all. Okay? Um, mm. And this, this is just the tip of the iceberg. And, and Shanna, I just want to uh, sort of ask you a question here because that's, there's a lot of information. And just <laughs> okay, go ahead. In, yeah, I know. Just in the, the very basic um, biology and, and chemistry and physics classes that, I, I do, you know, up to high school level, which I still think uh, stretched me, but it's still pretty basic. Right. Um, the it, it was just obvious that none of this really could have happened by chance. No. And so I wonder... It's like as if it's a tornado. Scientists, yeah, scientists are intelligent and clever <laughs> people. Why, mm-hmm. do they, why do they do that? Is it just a total denial? Well, there are people who don't want there to be a god... And so yeah. uh, they just take that possibility out of the equation and try to force mm-hmm. any other scenario. But in the meantime, they're making up their own stories to fill mm-hmm. in the gaps, and these stories just simply aren't based in fact. Mm-hmm. To me, uh, all things are spiritual, even temporal knowledge. And science mm-hmm. is just studying how God did it. And mm-hmm. I'm not the only one. Stanford University put out a study recently um, Andre Lin's theory of chaotic expansion gives scientific muscle to the notion of a universe created by an intelligent being. Mm-hmm. And uh, that article is called The Big Lab Experiment from Stanford University. Uh, and I'll say his name again if anyone's interested. Andre Lind. Okay? Lind, yeah. Now, as um, far oh, sorry. Go on. No, that's okay. But I was just, I was just going to go back also to um, one of, you know, this what you were saying about um, the, well, the mutation or the changing of the genes takes so long that there are certain things during this transition period that, well, the animal would have died. Exactly. Had it not had everything in place right exactly. at the very beginning, because either like the dolphin, for example, with its sonic, uh, I mean, if it hadn't had everything in place, then it wouldn't, it just, it would have died. And, and it, to me, because it takes so long, I'm thinking, how can anybody really believe that this happens? Because so, they don't want to believe there's a God or an intelligent higher power, and so, you know, they'll believe anything else. Like I said, atheism and evolution are religions. They have to be. You have to have faith to believe in them. The proof well, and, and the, the big museums here, there's a there's a the big British museum and that they have changed since Darwin, they've changed every single um display, description of the display to fit in with Darwin's theory. Right. Evolution. Well there's been a big political push and a lot of scientists who know there's a higher power, know there's an intelligent designer, have to sort of stuff their feelings to get their funding or or to keep their tenure or these kind of things. And so this big political push to eradicate God from the mix has caused many people to be silenced who know better. And that's part of the problem. And one of the biggest things that uh, that uh, this... Uh, 
cover-up does is just not pass on the relevant information to the next generation. And I will tell you some more proofs, and the, the, the evidence is out there, but nobody teaches it to the next generation, and that's part of the problem. And now, think to, of your house. You've got... Okay, Shanna, we've got 30 seconds, so if you're going to tell oh. us another another <laughs> right. proof, then um, save it until after the break. But, okay, um, well, this is real just... quick. Think of your house. If no one puts some work into it, it gets more disorganized in time. Okay. That's the same reason evolution can't work. Okay, less, yeah. less to its own, everything gets less organized, not more. Yeah. Yeah, I, and that, that's a, a fascinating. Anyway, here's the tunes. So okay. I'm going to have to leave you for about 90 seconds, and we'll be back. All right. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Do holidays and celebrations get you down and leave you feeling frazzled? Then join Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Sandy will help you discover the secrets to having the celebrations you've always dreamed of while adding fun and meaning to your life. From Valentine's Day to Christmas to special family events, Sandy Fowler will show you how to put the fun and meaning back into those special days by taking a look at what we can do to turn the upcoming holidays into cherished memories and show us how to allow it to intertwine with everyday life. For more on the show, Sandy, and to receive Sandy's Holiday Happiness Booklet, go to HeartfilledHolidays.com. Then get set to discover the secrets to creating happy holidays and happy everydays by joining Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon Eastern Standard Time on Toginet.com. Was sad, right? Because he had a deaf kid, mommy, and dad, right? But that ain't the case, nope. it wasn't his fate, no. Nope. The walks never struggled to communicate. <laughs> Y'all wave your hands, look who's on. Yeah. It's the code of man, Keith, that he's number one. It's that Keith Wine Show on Toginet.com, Wednesday nights at 8, 7 Central. Every week, that Keith Wine Show will have guests that share their experiences, expertise, opinions, and personal lives with us to hopefully help us better understand others. The topics and guests will come from the American Sign Language community. For more on Keith Wine and the show, go to his website, KeithWannWann.com. Listen with an open mind and willingness to learn and help with the cultural bridge. Number, number one, Keith's number one. Everybody back. Don't miss that Keith Wan show Wednesday nights at eight seven central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to the Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's the Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for um, talking about this wonderful, wonderful topic. It's so great because sometimes I think, oh, I just wish I knew more so that I could discuss this better, you know. <laughs> Let and, me tell um, you a just... joke. 
Yeah, yeah, it's so difficult sometimes because I know, I know, but I I can't, I just can't get the words out properly and you're doing such a wonderful job. Oh, that's Um, all right. So you said Um, that there were were some other proofs. Oh, there's a lot. talk about that conference you go to, the Pythagoras, is it called the Pythagoras Conference? Yes, that's coming up in December this year. A lot of physicists who have shown that quantum Physics and different things prove the old ideas of evolution just aren't true. It's going to be a fantastic conference from what I understand and, and all based on science um, mm-hmm. and the parts of science that the uh, the mainstream status quo will not accept. So it should be very interesting. Uh, let me tell you a joke. Mm-hmm. Some scientists were in a lab and they took some dirt and some chemicals and they zapped it with some high power energy and they, they created a living cell and they were so excited and they said, See, we don't need God. We can create life right here in our lab. All of a sudden, they hear God's voice out of nowhere that says, next time, get your own dirt. Oh, yes. (laughs) That's good. I love that. (laughs) You can't do anything without using what's already here, put here Mm -hmm. by God. I thought that was great. Let me tell you about Dr. Ivan Panin. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Panin. He was a Russian nihilist who did not believe in God came to the United States. He was a professor at Harvard, uh, and he turned Christian in 1890 because of studying Bible numerics. I'm not talking about numerology. I'm not talking about that. Bible numerics is something that he discovered. He was studying the original Greek and Hebrew texts, and in both of those texts, both Greek and Hebrew, some of the letters also stand for numbers. Mm-hmm. And in these texts, he discovered that wherever the letters also symbolized numbers, their words added up to numbers that were divisible by seven. Mm-hmm. And he found other mathematical sequences that were still statistically impossible. Uh, it converted Dr. Pan into Christianity. It's a statistical impossibility that has never been disproven. He wrote his research findings in his book, Bible Numerics. Now, Mr. Carl Sabiers described Dr. Pannon's work in his book, Mathematics Prove Holy Scriptures, which was originally published in 1941 while Mr. Pannon, Professor Pannon was still alive. Uh, he later moved to Canada, Dr. Pannon, uh, where he retired. All I've ever seen is people mock the writer. I've never seen them disprove the theories. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens a lot. The the writer gets mocked, he gets labeled, he gets, um, you know, called names, whatever, but they don't disprove the theory. Mm-hmm. There's also another book out called The Bible Code by Michael Drosnan. Uh, Jerusalem ha- scholars have created this huge supercomputer program that shows how the Hebrew text of the Bible or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, is itself a complex interactive puzzle full of hidden revelations that works like a computer program. The, the, uh, if you string along the Hebrew characters of the original Torah text themselves, they can, they are a computer program. It's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. The complex code would have have to have been designed in the Hebrew biblical text thousands of years before computers were invented. Mm-hmm. God put it in place long before man had the capability to find it. I think this is God's way of telling scientists today that he is still smarter than us and that he still exists. Yeah. And and as as um people are uh 
clever enough to sort of unravel and reveal um, that right. it should really it should really make um, God more sort of awesome and more prevalent. And instead, you know, people are going, no, nah, no, we don't want to. And well, it seems that, I mean, is it, would you say the majority of scientists buy into this or is it a minority? We just hear the minority. It's, it's a, I don't know, maybe half and half. But the yeah. problem is the younger generation doesn't know the alternate proofs because the pol- the politics have stifled them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it may be growing just because as the younger generation's coming up, they don't know what there is out there. Mm-hmm. Dr. Edwin Sherman, a statistician, recently tried to disprove the Bible Code by Michael Drosnan, so he wrote his own computer program to look at the Hebrew text. Instead, mm-hmm. his research turned him into a believer. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can uh, look up Dr. Edwin Sherman. You can look up all this stuff I'm saying. You can Google it. The, the information is there. Mm-hmm. So what do atheists and evolutionists do with Bible numerics and the Bible code? They ignore them. They attack the character of the authors. They sweep them under the rug. They don't tell the younger generations, but they can't disprove it. So it's, uh, But it's not going to hurt their work, but what it's going to do is hurt their pride. Yes. Right? Yeah. Right. Having to right. hand it over to um, an awesome being higher of a higher intelligence god um, instead of, um, you know, taking the credit for themselves. Right. It's more like he's not going to tell us what to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, and now let's look at the physics law of matter can be neither created nor destroyed. Okay. And Einstein put this into his beautiful equation, E equals MC squared, which means energy equals mass of an object times the speed of light squared. Okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. M is mass, C is the speed of light, and of course E is energy. Now, uh, an author who's also a scientist, Prasran Sakrar, I don't know if I'm saying his name right. He's from India, but he, he's in the United States now. He wrote a book recently called God Equals MC Squared, and he talks about a lot of the same stuff I'm talking about, how science proves God. And so that's an interesting book, too. Mm-hmm. But Einstein's theory, in Einstein's theory of relativity, the speed of light is the only constant. And this makes sense because the Bible says God is light. Okay? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so his theory of the structure of the space-time continuum says the speed of light is the same for all observers regardless of their relative motion or the motion of the source of the light. However, time changes. Moving clocks tick more slowly than the observer's stationary clock when they're going fast speeds. Time Mm -hmm. slows down in motion. Mm-hmm. Length changes. Objects are measured to be shortened in the direction they are moving with respect to the observer. So length gets shorter in motion. Therefore, the uh, C, the speed of light, is the only constant. Now, energy and mass are interchangeable. Mass with light. Okay? That's mm-hmm. why it says E equals MC squared. So, Mass, matter is neither created nor destroyed. It might turn into an energy form, and the energy form might turn back into a matter form, but it's never destroyed, never gone. And so that is just fascinating to me. Um, 
everything basically is energy. And I think part of the, the Pythagoras conference is discovering how all this energy actually moves and works throughout the universe. Mm. Um, <clears throat> there are several other uh, books. There's Darwin's Black Box by Professor Michael J. Behe. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but he's professor of microbiology at Lehigh University in Pennsylvania. And he proves intelligent design through cellular biology. And um, it's just fascinating. And I've heard people try to discredit him, and they usually attack him or say he's a liar or, you know, that he, he did this or that. But nobody has disproven his theories. For instance, mm -hmm. blood clotting. Many proteins are needed simultaneously, not consecutively, or the organism would bleed to death. Okay? Mm -hmm. Eyesight. It's impossible to evolve eyesight on the cellular level. Um, if you want more information, read his book. It's too convoluted to go in here now. Cell waste vacuoles. Okay? Our cells have waste systems, and how do they get rid of them? They put the waste in these vacuoles and stick them out to the cell wall. And the vacuoles open up outside of the cell wall and get rid of, dump their waste, okay? Many proteins and chemicals are needed simultaneously or the organism would die of its own toxicity. No time for slow evolution, okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, opponents of Behe attack and label the man but have never disproven any of this. And mm -hmm. think about it. Cell waste, blood clotting, you just can't live with a slow billion-year billion evolution of these things. Uh, there's a lot of resources. There's the hearing and seeing eye, two the hearing ear and the seeing eye. Those are two excellent videos on the majesty and miracle of ears and eyes, scientifically proven. Um, there's this wonderful video of God's Amazing Animals, and there's one I show my kids. I love it. It's called Incredible Creatures That Defy Evolution. Mm -hmm. It goes through all these different animals and insects that have such fantastic, amazing defense mechanisms that couldn't have evolved. And the information's out there, and scientists know this, but we don't teach our kids about it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, here, oh, are Shana, we, uh, I know. This is just, we've got, we've got a couple of minutes left and then I'm going to have you come back into the third segment and I'll ask you a really light question. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because are we coming just, up to a break or do I have a little more time? Yeah, no, this is absolutely fascinating. Okay. And, um, here, here's my, this is the theory of Shauna Godfrey. The elements and electrons trust and obey God. They choose mm -hmm. to follow him out of their own agency. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, the chaos theory of electrons is basically that the electrons or elements don't always go down their specified orbits or pathways. Sometimes they veer off. They have mm -hmm. agency. They have a choice. Mm -hmm. In mathematics, chaos theory describes the behavior of certain dynamical systems, that is, systems whose state evolves with time. The behavior of these chaotic systems appears to be random, and this happens even though these systems are deterministic, meaning that their future dynamics are fully defined by their initial conditions. <laughs> Basically, no random elements were no. programmed into them at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But the 
unchangeable systems change anyway. This behavior is known as deterministic chaos or simply chaos. Chaotic behavior has been observed in the laboratory in a variety of systems, including circuits, computers that are all connected to each other, lasers, oscillating chemical reactions, fluid dynamics, mechanical and magnetomechanical devices. Chaotic behavior occurs in nature, in satellites, solar systems, celestial bodies. Going on a break, Shanna. All right. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back in about 90 seconds, okay? Chaos. (laughs) How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine on Toginet.com. Live la bella vita. If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live La Bella Vita. For more on the show and your host, check out our website, LaBellaVitaCosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on toginet.com. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom, Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on Toginet, with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture, to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website, and thus, NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing? Chronicling her opinions on everything. The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. All right, Shanna, um, this is the last kind of like five or seven minutes, and um, I'm just going to try and, um, you know, sort of put into a nutshell what we've been talking about, which is going to be absolutely impossible for me, but there is a God, evolution takes faith, and it's impossible, and we can prove its impossibility with God's help. Correct. Yes. Uh, I just want to end chaos theory by saying electrons of light and energy obey God because they trust him. Mm -hmm. Just like when uh, Jesus stilled the water in the storm, 
they have their agency, but they obey him. They live a celestial glory because they trust him. They know he'll do what he said he would do, and so they follow him. I want to tell you real quick about all the chemical building blocks of proteins, sugars, and fats are in our air. Did you know that? No. Yep. Sugar is made out of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. And uh, let's see. Proteins, or the amino acids of them, are made of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen with occasional sulfur and phosphorus in their structure. Now, phosphorus comes from the dust of the air. It's found in dust particles. The rest are gases. Fats have only carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen in their structures, but in a different arrangement than sugars. Okay, so basically what I'm saying is everything you need to make any kind of body system or any kind of food is just floating around in the air. And so um, I have no problem believing that Jesus fed the 5,000 with a few fishes and loaves. Some people try to discredit that. But by his, the word of his mouth, he reversed the entropy, put his own energy or glory into the system, and organized the molecules in the air around him to match the catalysts, the few fishes and loaves they had, to make more of them. And the elements obeyed. And I think that is just so fascinating because everything you need, we come from the dust of the earth, the Bible says, and that's true, and all the elements we need are basically in the dust and in the air around us. And so somebody who knows how to make both molecules and puts the energy into the system and has molecules willing to obey them could do it without any problem. Yeah. And Shanna, you need yeah. to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> you already have written a book, but one of a completely different nature to what we've been talking about. Um, do you want to plug your book? Oh, oh I'm um, I've part so chapters, volumes of my book. It's not rocket surgery. How to launch rather than detonate your child are available on Amazon.com mm-hmm. and other helps and aids. Um, my book, A Pretty Girl with Alphabet, is on there. A funny boy was Prince River. These teach parents how to help their kids learn phonics before school age. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm totally against sight reading. Let me put that plug in there. Yeah. <laughs> I agree uh, with you. <laughs> and uh, I just, I just want to say again that everything around us, the order we see, denotes there is a God. The, the, just the accuracy of this, the numbers that make up the speed of light or the acceleration of gravity or everything around us have to be perfect. If you change them even one little bit, or if you change the orbits of the planets even by several decimal places, everything would change and it would all fall apart. The order and the organization and the intelligence is so beautiful to look at. It's just absolutely fascinating and wonderful. Um, well, go write your science book, Shanna. <laughs> you need to do that. I mean, for goodness sake, you could put it in such wonderful um, language for us that we would be able to, you, the children who are learning how to read their phonics books would be able to read your book and fully understand. And that's what we need to get to. We need to get to our younger generation. We need books out there that, that everybody can read, not just highbrow scientists who really, you know, like me, I mean, I... I 
you know, I know the basics, but I would really like a book where I could go, and Shanna says this, and Shanna says, <laughs> and listen to this and everything, and just, just make it make it really sort of at my level, not dumbing it down, but just put it in a way like that book that you were talking about, about the um, animals, incredible creatures that defy evolution, those yeah. kinds of things, you know, that, that kind of book. Yeah. Shanna, I'm, I'm, we've, we've come to the end of our time. Oh, I'm so sad. We'll have to do yes. this again. Yeah, we'll have to. We'll have to get together again, and in the meantime, you know, sort of put it down so we can so we can go to Amazon and buy it. Okay. And, um, all right. Well, thank you so much, Shanna. I've been talking with Shanna Godfrey, an amazing, amazing person. She homeschools all these children and writes books and is a scientist and, um, you know, sort of can reconcile God with science. And she's going, good luck at the Pythagoras conference. And, you know, I hope you meet lots of like-minded scientists and you get together and you say to these politicians, forget it. We still need the funding. This is the real thing, you know. So um, thank you, Shanna, for joining me this morning. I hope Hope you have a wonderful weekend with your family and i look forward to talking to you again which we're gonna have to great okay you too thank you bye bye wow <laughs> what a woman she she's warmed me out but she doesn't wear her children out she is the most fantastic homeschooling parent she has patience she knows exactly how to motivate her children of all ages um to learn so you just need to go just go google shanna godfrey you'll get it all and uh, you'll really, really enjoy her. All right. Now, I want to go to a faithful listener of mine who was a reluctant but glad I persuaded her to do it guest on my show a few weeks ago. And she wrote to me on Monday morning to share her gray hair story with me. And I went, yay, I'm not the only person who started going gray at birth. I'd love to go cherry red too, but I don't feel brave enough at the moment to do that. Funnily enough, though, cherry red is the color here in here in England. In fact, I stand out in a crowd because I'm not a redhead. And I love the fact, Tina, yes, that's the name of my faithful listener and reluctant guest, that you say when you decided to quit being grey because it was no fun anymore, you wanted to start doing something fun for yourself again. That's a mindset I need to take. Mostly doing stuff with my hair is a drudge and my colour doesn't fade. It's the problem of my hair growing too fast. My hair is thick and healthy and it just grows really fast. So do my fingernails. So, I mean, kind of like I'm, I'm the envy of lots of young people around who can't do that. But then I take the right stuff, cod liver oil and my iron and all that stuff. So anyway, the main reason why Tina wrote to me is because she had big news about homeschooling. To recap, Tina is a whirling dervish when it comes to life. Live it or forget it is her mantra. And live it she does every which way. And she confided to me that she needed to spend more time teaching her children. Not with her children, you understand, but teaching them. And she sometimes felt as though she wasn't doing a very good job. And before we continue, I want to say to every mother or father out there who's selflessly given up her or his life to be with the children instead of letting a stranger have access to their precious offspring minds, you've already done a better job than traditional school will ever hope to do in the 
12 years given to them to educate the future voices and leaders of our world. So pat yourselves on the back and listen up. On my show, Tina told us that she discovered an umbrella school and it was a little bit away from where she lived, but she only had to go a couple of times a week. And since the children are both hers and her husband's, she wanted to really be accountable in a not too regimented way for their children's education. So she decided to try the school. And in her email, she told me that she decided that this school she's found is just what she's been wanting for her children. Family schooling, she describes it. Doesn't that sound so natural? It makes me want to say, is there any other kind of schooling that works? Tina is overjoyed by the fact that there are, and here's a quote from her email, so many mums and even a few dads and babies and toddlers and children of all ages running around and playing in between and after classes in the playground and in the parent lounge and library. We, and Tina said that includes herself, are frequently found playing hide-and-seek between the shelves in the old one-room schoolhouse that's now the library parent lounge. It's so fun. Picnic tables abound underneath the walnut tree next to the playground. And she said mums are hanging out and chatting while their kiddos are in classes. Children play with the chickens in the pig in the pen. I was going to say pig pen, but in the chicken pen nearby and dig in the dirt. And um, Tina says hers come home every Tuesday and Thursday just covered in dirt. You can always tell your child's had a great time if they come home dirty. That was one of my little rules of thumb. Send them home dirty they'll have a good time. It doesn't stop there. Tina says there are extracurricular activities where they go on field trips and they're even going camping one weekend. But she's most amazed at how everything spills over onto the home front. She finds she's staying on task. Having to report to an educator coordinator has helped her because she doesn't like feeling embarrassed if she hasn't covered all the subjects she's agreed to. Sounds like my daughter at college. She says she has to do the homework because otherwise she doesn't know the answer to the question in class and then she gets embarrassed. Teehee, has she never done that before? Anyway, Tina says she laughs at herself. Well, yeah, because for her, a new project always brings such energy into her life that all things past get dropped and the scale this time is being tipped as it should be in favour of her children's education. Tina, once you get into the swing of things, you'll be able to go back to your life, maybe in 10 years or so. Just kidding. As long as the children are having a blast and you're happy and you can still do those other fun things in life, there's the key. So if you want to know more of these kinds of, about these kinds of schools and discover one in your area, go to the website of one of my former guests, Anne Zeiss, at www.homeschooling.gomilpeters.com and find Umbrella Schools or check out what HSLDA has to say on their site some of these schools are publicly funded so do some research before hopping on the bandwagon and yay for you tina well i've managed to rattle on for another hour where did the time go it looks like it's going to storm outside too so i'm going to have to wrap up now and set up the prep for next week as i'm not home even for one day next week my son's keeping us so busy malia's coming to visit her bro tomorrow and we're saving the fish and chips for then so without further ado I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight. Our four children who are the result of that belief. I miss the two of you in Texas. Zookeepers 
here today. The hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, my guest Shanna Godfrey, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne in Lindell, Hannah, Tina, Rosemary, Sarah, and many others who are part of my growing audience. Listen to my friend Sandy Fowler of Heartfield Holidays, Mondays at 1, and Ali Lepreet later on today at 5. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Doop, 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 and I will see you same time, same place next week if I'm still awake. So, have a good weekend. Bye. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Togi